three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, the Cubs have recently slumped. We'll talk about why in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Dan Wiedemann, the Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Tribune. We recap everything when it comes to the NFL draft, talk about the Bears' aspirations for this season, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. Would you rather have a brand new car that never breaks down or one that you continuously have to repair? Obviously, you want the brand new car. Simpler, easier, and in the long run, it won't even cost as much. I'd rather just pay out for a brand new car than fix the transmission, fix the engine, have to keep fixing things that go bad on my old car. Pretty simple thinking. Any rational person would Probably make that choice. The Cubs are the old car. <laughs> I'll admit I had high hopes for them before the season began. A lot of veterans, lots of big names who had one or two good years back in 2015, 2016. But I thought, you know what? Maybe there's an opportunity in which they could all work together. Everybody could have another career-type year. And they could lift this team past their pretty low expectations. I really thought it was possible. Turns out, boy, I was dead wrong. (laughs) This Cubs team is the broken-down old car, and every time something goes wrong, they make a small repair to fix it. Oh, hey, no more shortstop. We'll sign a Drelton Simmons to a one-year deal, and he'll never play. Jonathan B.R. All these veterans who were good five or six years ago, are expected to be great now. When you depend on Frank Schwindel, a 30-year-old sophomore, Patrick Wisdom, 30-year-old sophomore, we got a problem. Marcus Stroman being signed to a big deal, 5 ERA. Kyle Hendricks, Mr. Consistency, 5.6 ERA. One of the worst qualifying ERAs in baseball. And this bullpen has also been atrocious. I know the Cubs are rebuilding, and I've actually given them credit for pulling the plug and making the right decision. But see, there's a problem we have. 
We talk about this all the time when it comes to the Bears. Transparency, honesty. The Cubs have not been honest. I don't mind a rebuild, but you know what? Come out and say it. Come out and say, we are rebuilding. We're tearing everything down. This is going to be 2010, 2012, 2014. Joe Mather, Cubs baseball. That's what this is. Get a bunch of veterans who've not been good for five or six years. You bring them in and just string together some random team and throw them out there to the Wolves and see how they perform. That's not retooling, rebuilding on the fly. It's called a joke. It's called a triple-A baseball team. A lot of these players who they have now, even the veterans, would be on a triple-A team in a winning organization right now. Half these guys would be in the Yankees' triple-A farm system. Even the veterans. They'd get minor league deals, and they'd stay in triple-A. There is no reason why some of these players are even getting regular major league at-bats. Even our best friend, Seiya Suzuki, who won Rookie of the Month, is slumping immensely. We all knew this would happen. At first, he's brand new from Japan. Nobody knows him. There's no scouting on him. The minute you get scouting on Suzuki, now he's hitting 250. Oh, yeah, the Cubs signed him to a long-term deal. So, how's that working out? I wouldn't be opposed to demoting him. Other players need to be demoted, too. Frank Swindell. Frank Swindell's hitting 205. What a joke. Patrick Wisdom. 247. Nick Madrigal, which I'm very shocked about, 235. This is not how you win baseball games. And when you're starting pitching, just can't prevent a run from scoring, you're never going to win. The only productive starting pitcher as of right now is Drew Smiley. Justin Steele even sucks. Even Justin Steele is having issues. Steele, Hendricks, Stroman, the Cubs' big three entering the season, whom everybody touted and proclaimed, all of the is about five. And then their offense, 30-year-old Patrick Wisdom, 30-year-old Frank Swindell, can't hit a lick. We all saw this coming, though. If you're a realist and not a fan sipping the Kool-Aid, you saw this coming a mile away. You cannot, if you're a baseball savant, expect big production out of Patrick Wisdom, Frank Swindell, and this ragtag crew. That's what this is. Hey, Judd Hoyer, next time, be honest. Just say the truth. Say it's a rebuild. Don't lie to your fans. I knew it was a rebuild. But don't say we're retooling on the fly. We're getting better. This is not better. I don't know what the hell this is. It's a scam. You scammed your fans. And the sad part is, a lot of them believed you. A lot of them believed you. Oh, we're retooling. It's going to be okay. We're going to be somewhat competitive next year. You guys suck. Hate to break it to you. You suck. Why am I watching two 30-year-old sophomores being the best hitters in your lineup? They're hitting 220. Why am I watching a big free agent signing put up a 5-ERA? Young pitchers putting up 5-ERA. The bullpen having issues. There is not one functioning piece on this Cubs team today. Not one. And all the guys who you touted from last year are not performing. I get it. 
It's early. I don't want to overreact, but this is the truth here. Look at the numbers. You got guys who you convinced us to believe in who cannot even hit a lick. Even Wilson Contreras, whom everybody wants to touch hitting 236. This is not acceptable. You need to understand that. Don't be telling people it's a retool on the fly when this is 2013, 2014 Cubs baseball. That's exactly what it is. Look, in 2013, 2014, everybody knew rebuild. There was no retooling. There was no expectations or competition. It was 100 losses guaranteed. And this team right now, they play like this, 100 losses guaranteed. See, it's not as harsh. They're not the Reds. They're not 3-21, the Cubs. I mean, they're playing 9-15, 9-16 baseball. But still, they deserve criticism for the way they've handled this entire situation. Be honest. Not that hard. I'm all about honesty. I'd rather the Cubs be honest and say, you know what? We are not going to be good next year. All these signings we're making are just to fill roster spots. None of them may work out. We are not rebuilding on the fly. This is a problem. This is a real rebuild. Not on the fly. Not, oh, after a year. Just be honest. Tell the people the truth. Instead, you strung everybody along all offseason. Hey, we signed Marcus Stroman. Hey, we made a couple of moves here and there. Hey, we might be good. Hey, we believe in Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom. What kind of a statement is that? Come on. Don't feed us the Kool-Aid about 30-year-old sophomores who, for some reason, have not cracked the major leagues till oh, last year. After the big trades. That's a red flag, by the way. But y'all should have seen that one. If you're 29 years old and you haven't played Major League Baseball and now you get your chance with the Cubs after trading away Brian Pies and Rizzo, problem. Got to remember that. I just hate the dishonesty. And I was all for the real rebound. But this product that they put on the field is pretty pathetic. Even if this was a rebuild. When the Cubs rebuilt in 2011 and 2012, there was still some fire with that team. There were guys who actually legitimately performed, put up good numbers. Nobody on this team has put up anything of significance. Nobody, with the exception of Drew Smiley. Some of the bullpen pieces, Robertson, still zero ERA, but not really. There have not been a lot of guys on this team who've done anything of significance. Even Seiya Suzuki is now hitting 250. And by the way, expect that to continue to go down. Ian Hepp's already at 292. He's at 333 a week ago. Everybody's going to regress to their average. This is going to be a team with no 300 hitter and with no pitcher with an ERA under three in the starting rotation. Not one. I know this sounds extreme, but I would demote some people if you could, just as punishment. Do it. And demote Kyle Hendricks. Have him work on his stuff in AAA. You need to set an example here. These performances cannot be accepted. Marcus Stroman, this cannot be accepted. This cannot be tolerated and said, oh, it's okay, we're fine. No. This is not fine. This is a joke. You know, it's so funny. They lied to the fans on purpose to still sell tickets. Now this team sucks. No one's selling tickets. That's the funny part. 
They said, oh, it's going to be a retool. We'll be competitive next year. Now they're being exposed, and no one's going to the games. Nobody cares. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to show up to a Cubs game to watch Frank Swindell, Patrick Wisdom, and Drew Smiley or Justin Steele pitch. My goodness. Come on. Even if they were doing good, I'd have my reservations. Let alone now. They're sucking. Horrible. I just couldn't be more disappointed. And I wish more people were too. A lot of people are. Though. A lot of Cubs fans are very disenfranchised with this team now. And I don't blame them at all. You know what the worst part is? Not enough criticism and not enough spotlighting this situation. Nobody is holding this team accountable, and they should be. My goodness. You promised everybody we are going to be competitive. We are rebuilding on the fly. We're going to be fine. Next year, we might actually play competitive baseball. Now, this is not competitive. It's not even baseball. I don't know what this is. I don't know what I'm watching. Couldn't tell you what I'm watching. I'm watching beer league softball. Bunch of 30-year-old overweight guys who are past their prime. That's the main one, past their prime. And I love some of these signings on paper. Jonathan B.R., great five years ago. 60 stolen bases in one year, not anymore. And Droughton Simmons hasn't even stepped foot on the field yet, still hurt. Nick Madrigal, 300 hitter. Well, now, not so much. Marcus Stroman came up a great year. Bad record, but good ERA. Five ERA now. This signing kind of reminded me of Edwin Jackson. And if he doesn't get his act together, it will be Edwin Jackson. And what about Jason Hayward, by the way? <laughs> that is, by far, the worst signing in Cubs history. I'll say it. It's the worst signing in Cubs history. You know what, Alfonso Soriano, maybe it was a long signing, big money, big deal, still performed, even at the end of his contract, hit 34 home runs the year he was traded. 17 with the Cubs, 17 in New York. He was still performing. The amount of money and the amount of years they gave Jason Hayward, this is one of the worst contracts in Cubs history. Maybe not the worst trade, because this wasn't a trade, but the worst contract, the worst amount of money spent the worst amount of money allocated in Cubs history belongs to Jason Hayward. $180 plus million to do what? Some speech in 2016? He has not done anything. If you recall and remember the reason why the Cubs signed him is because he hit 292 with 11 home runs and served as the leadoff man for the Cardinals the year before. They brought him in for that reason. To hit not just for defense, Look, I'm not going to pay somebody $25, $30 million per year to play gold glove defense. Not going to do it. Not important enough. Not important enough. If you're a liability in the lineup, you will not play. I'm not paying that much money for good defense. That's a waste of money. Even Nico Horner, touted prospect, is hitting 272. I don't know what to say about this team. I'm greatly disappointed, but even more disappointed in ownership and management. 
And I applauded their decision-making last year because it was right. It was the time to do it. And if you look at all them and all the guys who were traded, Bryant is horrible. He has no home runs. He's playing in Colorado. That's a big problem, big red flag. How are you not hitting at least one home run and you play in Colorado? Rizzo's doing well for now, but I know that that streak and that hot start's going to come crashing down. And Baez is fine, but he was hurt. At the end of the day, it was not worth the Cubs paying or shelling out close to $500 million for those three players. I applauded the move. I liked it. We're moving on. That's fine. But from there, they handled this horribly. They lied to fans. They were dishonest. They promised things they couldn't promise. And now we sit here today and we're watching AAA baseball. We're clamoring over 30-year-old sophomores who can't hit. We're watching big free agent signings stink it up on the mound or at the plate. And we're watching some fans still drink the Kool-Aid. We're watching some of them justify these moves. These are not justified. These are not acceptable. They're not okay. I know a lot of you watch me for my Bears content. This applies as well to the Cubs. Hold your teams accountable. Question. Publicly question. Rant, roast, whatever you have to do. This is not acceptable. Really think about the legendary status of the Cubs organization. And they're much more legendary than the Bears. They've been around since the 1870s. Think about how many championships they've won. Total. How great they've been. One of the first teams in Major League history to reach 10,000 wins as a franchise Look at them today. This is a shell of who the Cubs should be. They're a legacy franchise. And no, we're watching Frank Swindell, Patrick Wisdom, and Jason Hayward suit up daily. Mind-boggling. And the worst part is they promise good stuff. They promise good things. I'm not going to blame this on the players. This is management, too. Look at the moves they made this offseason. Oh, but hey, they spent money on Marcus Stroman. Who cares? That was a stupid waste of money. And I'm not saying they should have signed Carlos Correa. They should have spent a lot of money. You have to do this the right way. If you're going to say rebuild, commit to it. Get rid of these big salaries and tell everybody we need a couple of years and be honest. But instead... There was some rebuilding, some not, some retooling on the fly, some not. They were right down the middle. They were never honest with anybody. And now look at the end result. It's a bunch of BS. I don't know what we're watching. They claim they're going to be competitive, yet this is clearly a rebuild. Yet, they made big signings this offseason to an extent, paying out a lot of money for guys who aren't performing on top of it. I don't know what this is. I don't know what we're watching. No idea what we're watching. I do know this, though. This is mediocre and this is crap, and Cubs fans shouldn't put up with it. That I do know. It's up to you to get the word out and spread it. Think about how historic this Cubs franchise is and then what they're putting on the field for you. That's an insult to you. They lied to you. They patronized you. Yes, they did. 
And this is the thanks you're going to get. Come on. I'm just so fired up about this because I'm sick of the lying from them. Look, some Cubs fans were even pissed last year about all these trades for Brian Pies and Rizzo. Now you see this, you must be even more pissed. At least at that point, I understood it. But this, I don't get. I really don't get this at all. Everybody's good friend Theo Epstein left this team in ruins. Now Jed Hoyer's trying to pick up the pieces. He's handcuffed by Tom Ricketts. And yet Hoyer did spend money on the wrong people. Sayo Suzuki, Marcus Stroman, not sure how that's going to work out. Seriously, not working out too well now, either. Suzuki, yes, but he's been slumping at Stroman, not at all. Never. I don't know. You got to hope for something better to come along for this team. But right now, I'm not buying anything. This is a train wreck. And for the sake of Cubs fans, I hope it gets improved. You deserve better than this. What a joke. What a scam. And all I can say at this point is, brace yourselves. It's only going to get worse from here. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Dan Wiedemer comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Everett Johns of Glowland, we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Tribune and a contributor to ESPN 1000. Please welcome Dan Weeder to the program. Dan, it's great to have you on. How are you? John, good to see you again. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. What was your take on this entire draft weekend for the Bears, first off? <laughs> well, first of all, Saturday afternoon was busy at Hallis Hall <laughs> because you woke up thinking that the Bears were going to maybe select three players, maybe be able to to work a trade or two and get four or five. And they wind up with eight, right? And they fill out their draft class with an 11-player draft class. And I do give Ryan Poles credit for being resourceful, right? For being creative, for being able to multiply the swings that he got to take in this draft. Now, everyone always asks, did they get anybody good? And my answer is, I don't know. We'll know in three years, right? That's how it works with the draft. You look at some of the potential of these guys, you say, okay, it's there. But math also tells us that most of the time it doesn't work out. And I think in one of the columns I wrote earlier this week, that of the last 72 players the Bears had drafted before uh, in a 10-year span from 2008 to 2017, only 16 of those 72 played a fifth season with the team. So you do the percentage math on that. You see how the pie chart shakes out four or five years from now. All these guys that we're going to be talking about today will look back and go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy, right? <laughs> so that's just the way it works, and hopefully there's a diamond in the rough somewhere in here. How surprising were those first two defensive picks? Um, semi. I'd say semi-surprised. Obviously, I thought going into day two, uh, we've talked forever about the need on offense, right? You need Justin to have more help at the receiver position. You need him to have more help at offensive line. But I did think that the strength of the cornerback position was there. The Bears have an obvious need there with Jalen Johnson needing someone to start next to him at nickel, someone to start across from him in the outside corner. And I thought they got a good player in Washington's Kyler Gordon there. And so you don't sort of judge that harshly because it was a, a good player who filled a need that was rated on their board as such. Then they went with Jaquan Brisker later in the round, and you say, okay, well, that's two consecutive 
defensive backs, right, for a team that needs help in a lot of different areas. And then you look at, obviously, some of the receivers that they had a chance and passed on, right? The, before, the first pick that they had, they could have taken Wandell Moore or John Mechie the third. When they get around to the Brisker pick, you still had Sky Moore, George Pickens, Alex Pierce on the board, and that, obviously some later round guys and Jalen Tolbert, David Bell, Danny Gray, Calvin Austin, Romeo Dobbs. Those are guys that they all chose to pass on. Obviously, they addressed the receiver need in round three with Bayless Jones. We'll see what he is. But it was a little surprising to go back-to-back defensively, and now it's all up to this coaching staff to make this front office look like geniuses by turning these guys into immediate starters and guys who can be those guys that play a fifth year in this organization. Did you prefer that strategy? I mean, the Bears obviously had a lot of opportunities for wide receivers. They passed on them for these defensive picks. Did you find that okay? Look, I'm a guy who likes the sizzle of the receiver position. And I liked going into this draft, studying the receiver position, knowing that it was a position of need for the bears and seeing guys look like you like the guys that put the ball in the end zone, right? Quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs. You like the guys that score points for you. And so it's easy to get caught up in the sizzle of that, which I admittedly do a lot. And so I probably would have used one of those two picks on a receiver if it's a guy that I loved, right? And there are guys there to love. Now, listen, the front office has more background on guys' personality traits and, 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 things that we'll never know about, right? Like a lot of things you heard about George Pickens out of Georgia is maybe one of the top three talents in this draft at that position, but may have some some character issues, some maturity issues that make him harder to bring along and, and be a long-term answer for you. So they'll have more of those answers. I personally would have gone for a receiver somewhere in there, um, but they did get one in round three. And like again, like so this is going to be a real interesting process to see what they try to squeeze out of Valus Jones because he's not a guy who is a traditional real polished route runner who is a, a guy who's had production at the receiver position in college to a high level he's a guy that's got some really intriguing traits he's really fast he's really explosive he's really good with the ball in his hands but now that puts the onus on luke getsy to figure out how to make a role for him that that works for him and then also works for justin because i think as you and i talk all the time this all circles back to justin and positioning him to be the guy that you think he can be do you find the debo samuel comparison accurate for jones so, so i you just have to put a box around the comparison and understand what people are saying. I don't think anyone uh, in the scouting community, anyone in the Bears organization is saying that he's the same type of talent as Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's on the top shelf. You know, Bayless Jones is a well drink for right now, right? And so basically (laughs) what you're looking at is the usage can be similar. You can use him out of the backfield as as a wide back, as Debo would call it. You can use him on jet sweeps. You can use him on the quick outs, right? The quick routes, the, the now routes to get the ball in his hands and let him use things. So in that regard, the, the parallels are there. But don't let anyone confuse this as this is the next Debo Samuel because Debo's on a, on a different level. At some point here in the next year, he's going to get $100 million that, that tell you what kind of player he is. And so uh, that's not in Bayless Jones' immediate future. But I do see the parallels in terms of skill set and the way you can use him. How concerning is the age for him? I know he's going to be 25 by first week, too. I mean, that's less a concern for me at that position um, because you can get some mileage out out of receivers. I think the Bears will spin it as, look, this guy is a guy who played at Southern Cal in Tennessee and had six years of experience. As many guys in this draft did, took advantage of the extra year of eligibility that COVID provided, gained experience, made himself better, and so got a year of, of polish right out of that sixth year uh, in college in the last year at Tennessee. And so maybe that works to his advantage. The one thing you do hear about Bayless Jones around the league is that maturity wise and professional wise, that's not going to be a problem. Like he's going to show up at rookie minicamp this weekend. He's going to know 
what's expected of him. He's going to do what's expected of him. And I think there's a lot to like about a guy who's got that drive and that commitment. And now it's just how much can you squeeze out of your potential to make yourself a long-term answer? What kind of a role do you see him playing this year? I, look, I mean, that that offense is wide open for guys to have leading roles, right? So if you're one of the, the two offensive playmakers that were drafted and you've got, you know, a receiving core that, that really is Darnell Mooney as a returner and then Byron Pringle, Equinemius St. Brown, and, and maybe a Daz Newsom here or there, there, there's plenty of opportunity here for Bayless Jones to carve out a leading role. I think you look back to, to maybe like a Tariq Cohen type when he was a rookie and a, a second year guy in 17 and 18 and, and, and the kinds of things that they did with him, right? Like one of the things that made Tariq a standout those first couple of years is they used him as a chess piece and they were able to create matchups. And when he was at his best, they had him coming out of the backfield, getting matched up against the linebacker and catching passes. And so there's going to be opportunity for Bayless to get a lot of touches in this offense. I think it's just up to him to, to figure out with Luke, with Justin, where he fits best. Dan Biederberg here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dan, based on what you've seen from this draft, did the Bears help out Justin Fields, would you say? Yeah, a shrug. Uh, I, it's, it's another shrug emoji for me because it's, it, it, I don't know, even though you took four offensive linemen on day three, I don't know which of those guys is going to play this year, right? And we don't know if any of them are going to play this year. I think Ryan Poles made it pretty clear uh, both Saturday evening and since the draft ended that one of his – incentives and kind of loading up on the offensive line was, Hey, look at the minimum, I want to create competition. Like if Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum are going to be my starters at tackle, I at least want to make them work to be my starters at tackle. Right. And understand that this job isn't promised to you. And you're going to have to grind your butt off and OTAs and mini camp and training camp to win that role. And so I think that was Ryan Pulse's incentive is to get that competition up there to bring in guys that, that, that can potentially be starters but right now, when you look at the draft class and what they did for Justin, you know, and look, you, you, you're, you're handcuffed at the outset because you don't have a first round pick and you don't have a fourth round pick. And so it limits some of the, th- some of the talent that you're able to, to look at. And so now it's just up to them to, to, to see what their coaching staff can squeeze out of these guys and see who can actually contribute in 2022. It'll be fascinating when we sit down in, in mid-January, early February and talk about what turned out with this draft class. Well, drafting only one wide receiver doesn't seem too much of a help though, right? No, it doesn't. Right. Like, and I, I, you know, I thought, you know, Hey, look, I get it. Four swings and offensive linemen. What about three offensive linemen and two receivers, just in case you can grab a guy that could show out in, in camp. And, 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 you know, look, they, they, they've gone to the undrafted free agent. Well, and they're going to have to continue looking at street free agents as, as the process unfolds and see where it is. Uh, I don't expect the roster that we're looking at today on, on May 5th to be the same as it looks, you know, when we get into the second preseason game. So we'll see how, some of those moving parts work and what other receivers get in here. Um, but certainly you're going to need help there. And, and look, when, when we talk about Justin needing playmakers, it doesn't have to be strictly wide receiver, right? Like if you can get a big year three jump out of Cole Komet, if you can get a big uh, contribution out of David Montgomery, if you can turn, uh, you know, Tristan Ebner, one of the draft picks from this weekend, if he can come in and, and, and be a guy who contributes for you on special teams, but every once in a while shows up on third down and, 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 makes plays as a, as a pass catcher. Well, now you're doing things to diversify your offense, to give it more uh, firepower. And, and I think this is where the trust in Luke Getze is shown from above. And now it's up to Luke to, to take, you know, some of this clay and figure out what he wants to sculpt it into. Yeah. He might've his work cut out for him there. How much of a jump do you expect Justin Fields to have this year? Yeah. I, I want to caution people to bring the bar down just a little bit, because you got to understand, like even Justin said, when we had a chance to speak to him at the, the first mini camp in April, 
it's not easy to go into your second season forced to reboot, right? To learn a whole new offense under a whole new coordinator and a whole new system and a whole new concept of plays. And so there is a lot that goes with that. You don't find a lot of quarterbacks who have system changes after their rookie season, particularly a guy like Justin who, who made 10 starts. And obviously the second half of his season, as we've talked about previously, was interrupted by a lot of different things. And he didn't have that, that momentum building into 2022. I think it's going to be a, a growing pains year for Justin Fields. And that's hard to listen to as a Chicago fan, because all we've listened to for 10 years is up oh, more growing pains, new system, new quarterback, new system and new quarterback. There's been so many of these reboots that it's hard to hear. But again, Justin Herbert, the outlier in terms of guys who had a explosive second year with a new coach and a new system. I think Justin's going to take some time. And I think all you really want to see is what we were hoping to see last year is just kind of uh, gradual growth throughout the year and, and, and a sense that he understands what he's seeing. But in terms of explosive numbers, I'm not expecting that at all because I think it is going to be a learning process in a lot of ways for this entire team. What's going to be your criteria in judging his progress? Yeah, I think, I think it's a, a lot of it's going to be the eye test, John. I think it's going to be that, that, you know, some of those big splash plays that we saw last year, you think, of, you know, the run that he made on fourth down that, that at Soldier Field that scored the touchdown. You think of the big plays he made in Pittsburgh to rally them from behind to uh, take the lead in that game on Monday Night Football. You think of some of those big plays. You want to see those on a regular basis, right? You also want to see that the ball security is there, that there are fewer fumbles that there are fewer interceptions, that it looks like he knows where he's going with the ball when the ball needs to go where it needs to go, right? And I think some of this is just going to be us watching with our eyes and saying, aha, yeah, that's what upper te- upper tier quarterback in the NFL looks like. And hopefully there's more of that than, uh, than the other, right? Because we've lived through the other forever and it's time for Chicago fans to see some of that on a more regular basis. How patient are you willing to be with him in his development? how patient am I or how patient are they? I think both. Let's go with both. Because I, I, you know, I think the patience ask is one of the most interesting things for this new regime because they should not be held accountable for the mistakes of their predecessors, but yet they have to understand that this city is on edge because of the mistakes of their many predecessors, right? Like this is an organization (laughs) that hasn't had three consecutive winning seasons since 1988. This is an organization that's tried and tried and tried again to get the quarterback position right and failed. And so there is going to be a level of outrage that mushrooms up inevitably if Justin has a three-week span in October that doesn't look real good, right? And that patience level is going to be like, what is going wrong? You know, and they got to be inside the building. They got to be prepared for that and have a plan to be, hold on, we got this. We're developing with a new coordinator. We're developing a young quarterback who's got some talent. So, you, you know, like, my patience is, is going to be properly calibrated. The fans' patience is going to be improperly calibrated. And the coaching staff's patience is probably going to be too high, right? Because people are going to say, let's go. It's time to go now. We're tired of sitting around in the afterthought in the NFL conversation. It's going to be really interesting to, to feel that dynamic. You know how this city is, and you know how it reacts. And you, you understand that it reacts justifiably, given their decades-long frustration with this organization. Are you confident in this coaching staff to develop fields? I need to see a lot, right? Like we don't know a lot about Luke Getze as a quarterback developer. We don't know what Matt Eberflus will do as a defensive coach who also now has to understand that one of your most important relationships in the building is the one you have with Justin. And how are you carving out time to, to help Justin along as a defensive vision minded guy 
Can you sit down with him on a weekly basis and teach him the things that you see as a defensive coach that he's not mastering, right? Can Luke do the same things? And so this is, this is a, a, a real wait and see with a lot of people in this organization. You've got a first-time GM, a first-time coach, a young quarterback, a coordinator that, you know, is, is going to be calling plays here for the first time since he tried it in college. And, and they're just, there's a lot of see it to believe it here. And we're not going to get a chance to really see anything significant until we get to September. More to come with Dan Wiedemann. In just a moment, stay tuned. Vincennes, Sports Talk Chicago. Dan Wiedemann still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dan, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, your reaction to the Nick Foles release was what? Yeah, I mean, that was, honestly, John, that was a when, not if kind of situation. I think the Bears tried for months to see if they could get a taker, right? Like, hey, does anybody want Nick? Like, we'd love a seventh rounder, you know? Love a sixth, but if you give us a, a seventh, we'll take it. Like, just give us anything for Nick, you know? And it didn't work out. And so, you know, obviously they try and sign Trevor Simeon a, a month and a half ago, and he'll be here as, as Justin's backup and, and the guy as the veteran in that room. But I, I think more than anything, it's just another one of these head scratchers, John, because you remember when they went out, and sign Nick to be sort of the safety net under Mitch Trubisky. And then the safety net ended up having a hole in it, right? And you went right through the safety net and hit the ground to the point where then the, the relationship between Nick Foles and Matt Nagy was so strained and so untenable that they had to go then get Andy Dalton, right? And I think that's what a lot of fans in Chicago were upset about is that you had to spend resources to go sign a veteran backup a year after you signed, you traded for a veteran backup and Nick Foles. And it's like, well, what are we doing? Why do we keep having to to, to, to replace parts that we should already have in position. And so there's just, there's just, it's maddening when you look back and you see the results of this, this organization. And then you see the number of missteps that create a resource drain that create the failure on the field. And, and that's kind of what Nick represents here. Look, we'll always have the Atlanta game in 2020, right? You, you always have the, <laughs> the Nick Foles beating Tom Brady and then getting snubbed on a handshake on that Thursday night, the same season. Don't forget about uh, Christmas Eve, or I was it Christmas? I can't even remember anymore. But in Seattle last year, in the snow globe in Seattle, with Nick Foles leading that comeback win and the, the amazing pass to Demir Bird on the conversion to win it, those are some high moments for Nick. But there certainly weren't enough of them. Was that the best move of draft weekend for the Bears? Had to have been, right? Well, I mean, it's just an inevitable move, honestly. <laughs> and 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 we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I mean, like. <laughs> Man, it's just like we just have these quarterback conversations in different forms every spring, every summer, every fall, every winter. And it's just like I said this to somebody in the middle of April when we were talking about drafts. It's like you would love in Chicago one season to go into like an offseason program where you're like, oh, the quarterback's position we don't really need to talk about because it's a standout starter who's been doing the same thing for four or five years. Right. Like and we just know what we're getting. I like, what must it be like in Kansas City or Green Bay or, you know, these other places where they just show up? for OTAs. And they're like, our quarterback's perfect. He's solid. We're good. They're like, we don't have to spend time talking about it, worrying about it, stressing about it. Let's just roll. And, and, and one of these days, maybe Chicago gets, gets that, that luxury. <laughs> and Dan, before we finish up today, last question, what's the best draft you've covered since you started covering the Bears? Help me with the, the parameters of that, because I, <laughs> I, I, like my, 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 urges to say 2017 just because of the because of the significance of it just how landmark it was right and understanding that on the Thursday night of that draft the Bears moved up from number three to number two 
to take, oh, by the way, Mitch Trubisky, right? And then, and then even in the, in the moment you said, boy, this is, this is landmark. This is momentous. One way or another, this pick is going to define Ryan Pace's legacy. In fact, it does, right? And, and it's why Ryan is no longer here, unfortunately, because it didn't work out. Um, that had the most sizzle to it, right? Like uh, of all the drafts I've covered, I feel like that is the one that, that will forever stand out. And, and you hope one of these years that like you, you have a top 10 pick, right? And you turn that top 10 pick into a, a, a perennial all pro and a potential all famer, right? Like that's, that's the dream, right? And, and they just haven't had enough of that. Again, this draft, another one where you sit out all of Thursday night and you're just sitting there as a spectator as 32 players get picked and you go, boy, it would be nice to play in that party uh, tonight. And then and it's not there. My promise to you, Bears will have a top 10 pick in 2023. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a fun promise or not, but, but, but hopefully they get that swing again next year. Is it frustrating to cover mediocrity like this every year? <laughs> Fair is question. That my answer? That, there's my answer for you. <laughs> yes, it is frustrating to cover mediocrity like this every year because it is just a tires in the mud spinning exercise. And I, I, I've told people a lot that 2018 was an awesome year to cover. It was a thrill because that team built momentum. They believed they won a championship. They entered January as a team that had legitimate aspirations that they could be in the Super Bowl conversation. And you thought, man, wouldn't it be fun to do this several years in a row, right? And it, we've never done it several years in a row, not since I've been on the beat. And again, when I go back to that stat that they haven't had three consecutive winning seasons since 1988, I mean, wow, right? I mean, that's, that, that's, that's the wow moment for this organization. And so I, I don't know how it gets turned. Um, you've rebooted again with another GM that's got to try to get it turned. And I think Ryan Poles is doing a good job with his vision, his patience, his discipline. Now it's just a matter of, taking three, four years to get several draft classes, several free agency classes and have the, the roster exactly how you want it. Oh, by the way, got to get the quarterback right. <laughs> three to four years sounds like more torture, but Dan, thank you for coming on and being on the beat and reporting about all these great things that are going on in Bearsland. Really appreciate the time as always. I always enjoy the conversation. Right, talk there with Dan Wiederer. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Dan Wiederer himself, Van Tubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalbot, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglul. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?